Hope you guys are having a good week. I'm having a fantastic week. It's amazing. God's presence is amazing. Um, this, is, uh, this is your first time here. We just started a little mini-series last week um, called Purpose for Your Presence, and we're just talking about the presence of God. And it started off with this one thought, this one kind of question is, is uh, can you walk in and live in, enter into and live in daily the presence of God? And the answer absolutely is 100% yes. Um, and, and, and we just said that there's a difference between the omnipresence of God as in God is everywhere. And then there is a very real, very tangible, uh, very personal uh, presence of God um, that lives in this place. Moses said uh, in, in Israel, when, when, when God, had, the people of Israel had disappointed God in a great way and kind of turned their back on him. And he said, just go to the promised land. You know, I'll make sure you get there, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses just stopped and in, in desperation and in power and passion cried out and said, God, I'm not going anywhere if your presence doesn't go with us. The presence of God is a very, very real thing. It's a powerful thing. Um, it's something that we hunger for, even though we don't realize it at times, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And we said the, the number one way, there's multiple, the number one way to enter into the presence of God is through worship. It's through praise. It's through, it's through submission to God's uh, glory and just knowing in our heart he is the one worthy to be worshipped. He's the only one in the universe that is deserving of one ounce of credit, one ounce of honor, one ounce of glory, one ounce of worship. Um, and it's worship. It's worship that, that enters into the presence of God. It's, it's worship. Many uh, the, the ultimate reason why we were created was to worship and glorify uh, God who created us. And, and we went to Romans 12.1, and this is a, one of those famous verses that everybody knows and everybody's heard a thousand times, but uh, I hope that last week it took on a little bit different meaning for you. And this is what Romans 12.1 says. It just says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And, and what Paul's writing, and if you weren't here last week, I just want to catch you up. And if you were here last week, I know that you totally memorized the scripture and you totally went back and listened to the message and studied it and applied it to your life and just walked in the presence of God this week. Totally aware of that. But just in case that isn't your reality, let's just go over it really fast one more time. Raise your hand if that just one person did. Just one. Please, you can lie. I'll give you permission to make me feel good. Okay. No, don't lie. But this is what he says, listen, based off the first 11 chapters of Romans, based off everything that God has done, based off the fact that God created you, God breathed life into you, that God, that even in our sin, God saved us through the cross of Jesus Christ, that God filled us with the Holy Spirit and gave us power over sin so that we can live a true life in Christ. He said, all of this, all the things that God has done for us, all the things that he's done, he goes, it only makes logical sense that we would now lay down our lives as living sacrifice to worship him to worship him, to say that he's worthy, to say that he's holy. Every ounce of who we are is for the glory of God. Every desire is for the glory of God. Every word is for the glory of God. Every thought is for the glory of God. Every ounce of resource, our house, our possessions, our family, our marriages, our kids, everything that you possess, everything that is enthralled in the identity of your life that should be laid down as living sacrifice belongs to God and is for the glory of God. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. And, and, I, and I think that we all got it. I hope that we all got it. I think that we get that. I think that if, if, if for five seconds, because that word true and proper, basically what it really means is just it's divinely logical. It just makes sense. It's just the, it's the logical thing, true and proper, that if God gave us life, saved us, everything we are, everything we have, everything we see is all God's. It came from God. It was all from God, through God, and for God, then it would only make sense that we would lay down our lives and live for his glory in, in totality, right? That only makes sense to us. But the problem is, is that, that although I think that many of us get that on one level, there, I think there was a question lingering in our hearts and in our minds, is that like, 
Why is that so difficult to do, and how do you do that, and what does that even truly look like to lay down your life as a living sacrifice? Like, I get what you're saying. I heard what you said last week. I heard what you said. You got all passionate, and you said, listen, every thought, every word, every action is for the glory of God. You lay down your life. You're alive, but you're laying it down for the glory of God. It's not for your glory. It's not for your worship. It's not for your advantage. It's not for you. It's all for the glory of God. But what does that look like on Monday when I have to get up and I have to fight with my wife or have to spank my kids or have to go to work or have to live life and pay bills and life goes on? That was great. I really enjoyed the service last week, really enjoyed the message. That was good. But when I woke up on Monday, it sure didn't feel like I was living every second, every action, every word, every thought, all for the glory of God because I hate my boss and I'm honestly contemplating murdering it. So I'm not sure how to, you know, how I'm having thoughts of murder. Right? And I'm angry and frustrated in how I'm living. So how, what does that look like? And how do you do that? And so the only thing that I want to do today, the only thing that I want us to do today, I want us to understand in our hearts and our minds ultimately why it is so hard for us to worship. Why it's so hard for you to worship. Why for many of us, you walk into this room and it's so difficult for you to worship God even in just in song. It's so difficult just to praise God's name. It's so out of the norm for the human soul. Why is it so difficult for human beings to get alone with God, even one-on-one, and pray to Him, and worship Him, and get in His story? Why is it so hard for a human being, even though even the, the most religious of human beings, even the, the, most, the guy that goes to church every week, that every time the doors open, you're here. Why it is so hard for humanity to truly, even in a, in a corporate level, or in an individual level, to get alone and get lost in the presence of God through worship. Why is that so counter uh, uh, against us, against our natural like, like, Why is it so difficult to come in and to lift our hands or to bow down to God or to shut our eyes or to sing praises and get lost in his worship? Why is it so difficult for us to lay down our lives truly for the glory of God? Even when we believe everything that we say, even when we believe that he truly is the creator, even when we believe in our hearts, truly believe that he did save us from our sins, we truly believe that he did empower us, we believe everything in the Bible. Why even then in that moment, if we believe the first 11 chapters is it so difficult to worship God on a song level on a worship level on a corporate level on an individual level and especially on a lay down your life as a living sacrifice level why is that so difficult because it is difficult in fact it is so difficult that the majority of human beings the majority of Christians the majority of followers of Christ they will live by the first 11 chapters but will never fully lay down their lives as living sacrifice and they will never fully live in worship to God and learn how to worship God with the entirety of their being which is a commandment of God Almighty. When, when Jesus was talking to the woman of the well he said there's coming a time when they will worship me in spirit and truth there's coming a time when people will worship me with the entirety of who they are why is it so difficult for us to do that? Why do entire denominations, there are a few denominations, their entire their view on worship is, is, is that we, probably, we really shouldn't worship, almost. That it's all, about, they, they, it's all about the word of God, it's all about the preaching, it's all about this, we shouldn't have instruments, we shouldn't do this, we should play this, we should do this, we should do this, but it's not about, why, why is it so difficult for the human race, even the believers, to worship? That's what I want to talk about this morning, because it is extremely, it's extremely difficult. And it begins, in, it begins in the very next verse. It begins in the very next verse. It says, listen, it says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, 
I'll read it here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the next verse is, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. All right, that's connected to the first one. You get that, right? Like reading the Bible sometimes means you have to actually read the Bible. I know that. I'm telling you, people are just like, man, how did that come to me sometimes? And it makes me feel good sometimes. I come and say, man, how did you just, you got so deep. Man, how, where'd you, where'd you, what, what, what like holy temple in, in Asia did you go to to find that knowledge? I just, I just read it. I was drinking coffee this morning and I read it and now I'm telling you about it. I don't know. Like I'm telling you, like there's so much power in God's word. He says, lay down your life as living sacrifices. And directly connected to that. It's directly connected. Do not conform. And I know this is the pattern of the world, but what it really says is just don't conform to the age. Don't conform to the age. Don't conform to the world around you. Don't conform to the spirit of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is extremely powerful. This is extremely powerful, and I want, I want us to just take a second, and I want us to make sure that we understand the, the, the depth that is right here. This is, this, today's message is going to be very deep, but it's not going to be deep in a, like a complex, theological, uh, I can't understand this level. It's going to be very simple, but it's deep in a sense of it's very, very, very hard to hear, and it's even harder to live out, but it's not impossible. All things are possible Christ. There, there is a direct connection from giving your life or laying down your life as a living sacrifice and not conforming to the age and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's so directly connected that the reason that it is so difficult for people to lay down their lives as a living sacrifice is because their mind has never been renewed. All right, I just want you to hang on to this. We're going to leave here and we're going to come back in a minute. The reason, and this is the thing I want you to understand about living sacrifice. To lay down your life as a living sacrifice means that you lay down your life as a living sacrifice. Right? Not, not I'll lay down a part of my life as a living sacrifice. I'll lay down A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but the rest of it's mine. I'll lay down 1, 2, 3, 4, but 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 is mine. I'm going to lay down 99%, but I'm going to keep this. Your life is your life. That's one singular thing. That's not lay down some of your life for living sacrifice to God. It's lay down your life. So if there's any part of your life that is conformed to the age of the world and your mind has not been renewed, so you, has not, you have not been transformed, you're withholding something from God, then it's impossible for you to lay down a part of, a, a part of your life or all of your life as a living sacrifice. Don't get lost. Here we go. All right, we're going to go somewhere with this. So here's the thing. The reason that it's so difficult and many times for us to understand this whole renewing of the mind thing it's because there's something I, I want us to go back just for a second. And it's going to be a little boring, but it's going to be really cool, I hope. And, and, I, and I just want to go back. I want us to be in agreement on something about our. This is not something that we talk about a lot. This isn't something that you really have a conversation about. You're not like, oh, man, you know how the Hornets play last night. Oh, and then you know, what about a living sacrifice and the renewing of your mind? I wonder why that's so hard. Like, there's something I want to come to an agreement about, and this is this. That there are, 
I want to explain the mind, basically, is what I'm about to do and say. So everybody, I want you to pay attention, because if you don't pay attention, and you get lost in this, and I get to the main point, you're not going to be there with me, and you're going to be like, oh, man, he's not a good preacher, but I, it's not me, it's you, because you're dumb. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now to pay attention to me. Don't think about anything else. Just pay attention to me, okay? All right. Every single human being is made up of three things. Your mind which is your soul. Your soul is your, your mind, your emotions, um, the personality. Uh, it's who you, what makes you you. Does that make sense? Your soul. That's your intellect, your mind, uh, your emotions, everything, everything that makes you you. That's your soul. The second is obviously your flesh and your, your bone and your marrow and your joints and, and, and your, your skin and your body and you. All right, does that make sense? Your, your body is what, like, what sweats and bleeds and smells bad sometimes. All right? So your soul is your intellect, your, your emotion, uh, um, what makes you you, and then there's the flesh and the body. And then the third thing is your spirit. Uh, it's your spirit. There's a difference between your spirit and your soul and your body. There's a big difference between your spirit, your soul, and your body. Uh, and I want to show you this. First off, I want to show you several places. I want to show you in Genesis. In Genesis, I think it's 2-7, is when, when he says that he breathed life into man. It says that he, that, that, that he took dust from the ground and he made man and he breathed life. Let's just read it. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. All right, you see three things here and I want to make sure you see this. The dust is your flesh, right? We're made from dirt. And, and it took people arguing with the body, uh, arguing with about the body. The Bible says that we're made from dirt and we're not made from dirt until, until we got the science to prove that we actually have 16 out of 17 alleles in common with dirt. Right? So, man, if this Bible isn't real, they just got really lucky writing that down 7,000 years ago before we had the chance to prove it. Just total luck, I guess. I don't know. But we're dust. Like, that's our body, that's our flesh, our bone, our marrow. And then it said that he breathed life into us. He breathed blow in our nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit of life. He didn't breathe oxygen into your life. Uh, you understand that, right? In 2.7, it says, and I mean, in 7, verse 2, when it talks about this, it says that when, when God sent the flood and everything died, it said everything that had the spirit of life in them died. Meaning that when God created life, he breathed within his spirit within us. Does that make sense? That's just, that he, he, he created us in his image. He didn't breathe oxygen, like as an oxygen and carbon. He, he, believed, he breathed himself into us. That was our spirit. That's our spirit that comes from God. Does that make sense? And then the, se and then the third part is it became a living being. That literally, that word being, literally, it's, it's nifmal or something, but it literally just means soul. That's all it means. I told you, this isn't complicated, but it's just not something we talk about a lot. So there's three, and in case you just don't believe me that there's the soul, the spirit, and the body, in, in Thessalonians, when Paul is praying, he says that I, I, I want God to, I want God to, to make all of your, your whole soul and your whole spirit and your whole body blameless when Jesus comes back. All right, I want everybody to read this together, just so we're on the same page. May your whole what? Spirit? Okay, four people. You better wake up. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so I, just for clarity, how many, how many parts of us are there? Three. Three. <laughs> you listen. Okay, now you can quit listening. All right, so you have within you three, you have your, your, your soul and your spirit and your body. And this is the thing that I want you to understand. When you sinned against God, all right, when you sinned against God, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when that first act of disobedience came, what was God's warning to Adam and Eve? If you eat from that fruit, what will happen? You will surely die. This half over here is saved. The rest of you guys aren't paying attention. All right, thank you, this whole half of the crowd. I said, what will happen? 
in unison, 30 people die. Everybody else, silent. All right. You guys got to catch up. So he says, you are gonna, if you eat from that, you're going to die. But when they, when they ate from it, what happened to their flesh and their soul? They lived. So what died? The spirit died. They still beat you. They said, y'all are trying over here. It's like the middle and you guys over here are fighting for second. These guys, are, these guys got you. All right, so when, what, what happened was is when, when God said, the part of you that's going to die, the sin, what sin's going to kill in you is that, that part of me that's in you, that spirit part in you. That's why when, when Paul talks about in Romans and basically throughout the entirety of the New Testament, and he says that you're dead in sins before you know Christ, well, you're alive. Is Matt LeCount here? Every, I use you. Come here. Let's go. This is my boy. Man, that's awesome. Hey, buddy. Doing all right? Yeah. We can play basketball after church? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Let's play, man. Every now and then, I, I just like to get out there and feel 30. The other day, side note, has nothing to do with the message. Uh, I grew up playing basketball. Basketball is a love. I love it so much. It's just a thing, and I, and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And the other day, I went out there with a couple of young, young guys, and I had the worst uh, athletic experience of my entire life. It was the day before I, I, speak, I spoke to the men this week. We started a series on pride. And on Tuesday, uh, God took any ounce of pride that I had, stripped it away from me while they laughed at me, and, and, and I ran off in tears. It was, it was most... <laughs> Horrifying thing ever. So sad. Anyway, that's why I'm embarrassing you now. Okay, no. So this is, this is Matt. Okay, so here's the thing I want you to understand. Mind, soul, and spirit. Don't go into details. Okay, but have you sinned? Yes. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. At least he's not a liar. Okay, so when Matt was born into sin, Matt's skin and flesh is still alive, right? So before you knew Jesus... Where you, like, you weren't a zombie, right? You were alive. All right, and you had thoughts? Maybe not a lot, but you had some thoughts. Yeah. Okay, all right. I think I heard your mom laugh louder than everybody else. <laughs> you had some thoughts. So here, here's the thing I want you to understand, is that before Matt knew Christ, before Matt became a follower of Jesus Christ, his flesh and his body was a, a, alive. It was, it was very much alive, and his soul was alive. His intellect was alive. He's a very, you're going to be like a doctor or something. You're going to be like a very smart yeah, I'm just gonna you know, I'm just gonna make 500 grand a year being a doctor, whatever. And so, so this is my. He's very smart. His intellect was very much alive, but his spirit was dead before he knew Christ. When he gave his life to Christ, his flesh and his body, who's still the same good-looking dude, still the same smart intellect, still the same soul, still the same mind. But when he gave his life to Christ, it says that we become alive in Christ. What becomes what comes back to life in us? The spirit. Does that make sense? All right, now sit down. See you later. Actually, I promised Courtney I wouldn't play basketball today, that I would spend some time with her and Aubrey, so I just lied to you. I'm not playing ball. Sorry. <laughs> God reminded me of that <laughs> quickly. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Late in bed last night while I'm wasting time, and I was like, man, I think I'm going to go play basketball with the boys tomorrow, and she just gave me that look. I was like, oh, we can just hang out here. <laughs> Whatever, whatever works. We'll just stay here. She was like, I think that's a good idea. I was like, oh. Yeah, me too. That's what, I was, that's what I was thinking too. That's what I wanted and everything. So, <laughs> whatever. So, when, when we're saved, it's our spirit that comes back to life. Does that make sense? We're dead in our sins before we know Jesus. So here's the thing, is that your spirit, when your spirit comes back, that's the God part of you. That's the part that's saved. But your soul and your flesh are still the same. Right? They're still there. And, and, and this is why you can have somebody who's 
totally, totally, genuinely a believer in Jesus Christ, but still has sin in their life. Because it's their spirit that is saved for all of eternity. It's their soul that hasn't been fully redeemed yet. Does that make sense? All right, and if you need some theological proof in this, everybody, they, I've heard people debate on this all the time. My simple question is always this. After you got saved, did you sin? Right? If you said no, you're a liar. You just sinned. Point proven. All right? It's your soul, your spirit and your body. Your spirit has been, if you know Christ, your spirit's been saved. Your soul is still there. So here, here's the thing that I, I want you to understand about about your soul, about you, is you are for you. Your soul, your intellect, your emotions, it's all about you. It's about what you want, what you need. Um, in fact, every ounce of sin in your life comes from your soul. That's what it talks about sin. It says that when sin, it, sin starts off as a thought in what? It says it starts off as a thought in your mind. And when your mind becomes pregnant with that thought, it delivers an action. It delivers an action which is sin. And when that sin is fully grown, it brings death to your whole life. Right? So the, the carnality side of you, the darkness side of you, that, that, that self-worship, that pride, that arrogance, that lying, uh, that addiction, that pornography, that lust, all those things in your life does not come from the spirit side of you. It comes from the soul side of you. That soul that's within you. I don't want to go too fast. So the soul is still alive in you. There are things within your soul that you are withholding from God, which is why it is so difficult and nearly impossible for many people to lay down their lives as living sacrifice for his glory and for his honor because there's a part of you that you want to, in your soul that you want to keep for you. There's something in your soul that says, this is mine. This is for my glory. This is for my honor. This is for my advantage. This is for my kingdom. This is for what I want. This is what makes me feel good. I desire this for my pleasure. This is for me. This is for mine. And I don't want to give it to God. I want to, I want to lay some things down for God. And I get the first 11 chapters of Romans. I get that he's the creator. And I get that he's God. And I get that he, he saved me. And I get that he died on a cross. And I get that he filled me with the spirit of God. And I get that he's got heaven waiting. And I, and he, I get that there's a blessing and there's a will and there's a purpose. And I get all that. But there's still something within my soul that says, I'm not going to give everything to you, but, but it's almost like this tension of like, you're trying to almost like hide it from God. There's like this tension between like, I want to give you everything, but I also want to keep this in my life. Does that make sense? Right? And that's why you get Paul going schizophrenic on us in Romans 7 when he's like, I know all the things that I should do. I just don't do them. And I know all the things that I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. Right? Because there's still that part of our soul that is for us, and that, that, that wants to satisfy the desires of the flesh, even though we know Jesus. And a part of our soul, the biggest part of our soul, is the mind, the emotions, the thing that makes us us. So here, here, here's what I'm, I'm getting at, and, I, and I, want, I want to read this to you. Jesus says something, it's, it's one of the greatest cautionary warnings that he speaks of truly outside of hell itself. And he, and he says this, and, and, and I'm just going to read it to you, but I want you to read it very slowly 
It's in Luke 9, 23. And this is what he says. He says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their soul will lose it. But whoever loses their soul for me will save it. And, and some of, your, some of uh, your translations might say life, but that word, it's the same word before. It means soul. That's just what it means. It means soul. It means that life part of you that's you, the, the soul. So this is what Jesus gives out, this very, very clear, very simple. There's no complexity here. There's some tension here, but there's no complexity. And there's some difficulty here, but it's not, it's not hard to understand. He says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, you have to pick up your cross daily. Daily. And follow me. And then he gives the warning. If you try to save your soul, if you try to save a piece of who you are, meaning that as you pick up the cross, and here, before I get there, let me tell you this. I think we have like prettified the cross. That's a word. I think that we, we, we've like, we, we, we've religiousified the, the cross. We made the cross this, this pretty thing, this, this nice thing, this thing that we wear around our neck and we put on our car and this, this thing. The cross is a truly rugged, dark, bloody work of death. That's what the cross is. Nobody, go, nobody was excited to go to the cross. If you were going out and, and you were carrying a cross, that meant one thing. You weren't coming back. You walked out of the city with a cross on your back, they carried your body back in dead. Right, it, it's, it's an instrument of death. Jesus didn't get on the cross and chill. Jesus got on the cross, was tortured, suffocated, and died. You get that, right? So I know that we've like we've like we've, we we we've, we've churched up the cross a little bit, but but when Jesus says this to his disciples, they didn't. There wasn't like oh the cross. They were like, dude's lost his mind. Pick up my cross daily. Be crucified daily. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, listen, you got to crucify yourself, die to yourself, deny yourself every single day that you live. And here's the warning. If there's an ounce of your soul that you're trying to save, that you're trying to withhold from me, that you're trying to withhold from, from following me, that you're trying not to crucify, you're trying to keep it a part of you because this is mine, this is what I want, this is what makes me feel good, I, I, just, I just don't want to give that up, I'll give 99% up, but I just don't want to give this up, this is just mine, this is who it is. He says, if you try to save it, you're actually going to wind up losing, it's going to cost you everything. But if you will lose it, if you will give it up, if you will crucify it, if you will lay it to the cross every day, then you will actually save your soul. Do you see the tension there? There's a part of you, there's something within us. There, there, there are a few things within us, everybody's got something, that, that when it comes down to truly following after Jesus and truly crucifying our flesh and truly living for him 100% for his honor, for his glory, his living sacrifices, to walk in complete and full obedience to God, there is something within inside of many of us that we know whether we confess it to man, to people to, or not, we know that we are not, we cannot, and we are not going to lay that down because it just feels too good. It's something that drives us, it's the thing that we work for, it's the thing that we want and we are not willing to part with it and Jesus says if you do not crucify that thing every single day of your life and you try to save it it's actually going to destroy you you're going to miss out on the greatness of God you hear me all right so there is a thing basically Jesus there is something in our lives 
that's so difficult for us, and it's that thing, whatever that may be, within our souls that is making it hard for us to lay down our life as a living sacrifice. So because we don't lay down, and it's making it hard for us to worship. So if we don't lay down our lives as a living sacrifice of worship, then we're not what? We're not walking in, living in the presence of a living God. Right? So at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're playing church. You're walking for, through the first 11. You're doing, you're doing the thing, but you're not following after Jesus. You're not giving him every single thing that you are. I think one of the most uh, dominant lies of religion is that Jesus did all the work and expects nothing from you. Jesus did all the work, but he expects everything from you. That's the lie. You can't do anything to earn salvation. God did everything to save you, but now he has an expectation of the entirety of who you are. Right? Oh, like, are you guys not excited? I told you, not complex, but hard. Right? We'll talk about something easier next week. No, we won't. Right? There's this depth there. And, and here's the thing, and I want to go one step further. Let's just go. This is, this is, this is the, uh, in, uh, in Hebrews 4, this is when he talks about the Word of God being alive and active. I, I'm going to read this to you, and you've probably not read it like this before, because we always, we, always, we always, for some reason, just skip over the hard verses. But for the, this is Hebrews 4.12. It's talking about the Word of God. Again, remember, soul, spirit, body. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, listen, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, marrow whatever. It, it, the, the word of God, it's so powerful, it's a double-edged sword, it's, so, it's living and active, and it's going to penetrate and divide the spirit from the soul and the spirit and the soul from the flesh or the joints and the marrow. Make sense? Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Meaning that there are, it's, it's not just going to go to what you're doing. It's going to go to why you're doing what you're doing. Right? There's a lot of things that, that aren't sin, but they become sin because you do them for sinful reasons. You could actually get up right now, take out a $100 bill and go give it to a homeless man and it'd be a sin because you did it for evil reasons. You did it for, to look at me, look what I did. I blessed this man. I'm amazing. Sin. He's going past your actions. He's going past the front that you put up and he's going to the depth. He's splitting the soul and the spirit. He's going to the depth of your heart. He's looking at your intentions. He's looking at your attitude. He's looking at why you're doing what you're doing. He says he's judging it. He's searching for it. He's going deep into, listen to me, he's going deep into who you are to find that thing that you try to keep so hidden and so close. He's going to find it. He's going to find why it's there. And then this is, this, is the, this is the crazy thing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That word laid bare, and, and, and I get why they, they, they translate it to this, because the, the true Greek word, it's kind of scary. And it's only in the Bible one time, and it's tracheoso. Trachea, what was it? Your throat. What it means in the Greek, and I, I, I've tried to think of a sugar-coated way to say this. And I was going to show you by bringing a person up here, but I thought that would just get too weird, especially for the first-time guests. 
But what he's saying is, he said, I'm going to go to the deepest part of who you are. I'm going to find that thing. And that word literally means, I'm going to expose the throat. I'm going to kill it. That's what that word means. It's the word used. It literally means you grab them by the throat to expose the weakest part, and you kill it. So I want you to, I know some of you have got the first part of this on a coffee cup at home. Next time you're drinking the coffee, I want you to think about this. Well, this is a sweet verse. No, it's, it's not sweet. It's amazing. It's not cute, though. It makes me feel all good inside. No, he's wanting to go to the deepest part of who you are, that evil part of you, that prideful part of you, that arrogant part of you, the part of you that can't stop lying, the part of you that can't stop stealing, the part of you that can't stop looking at porn on your computer, the, t- the part of you that can't stop having sex outside of marriage, the part of you that just can't stop, just can't stop. He's going to go to the deepest part of who you are, and he's going to find it, he's going to expose it, and then he's going to kill it so that it doesn't kill you. Right? So sweet, sweet verse. Powerful verse, not sweet. Why do you, do, do, do you, do, when's the last time you talk about a double-edged sword and you think, oh, that's so cute. Look at that giant double-edged sword over there. A double-edged sword. It's meant for what? What is a sword meant for? Killing, war. I'm telling you, listen, I, I, I came to the conclusion before, I think on Thursday, that by the end of this message, there would maybe be 10 people with me. I'm totally okay with that because Jesus Christ changed the world with 11. Not 12, Judas didn't make it. 11. So I'm totally content with 95% of you leaving here going, man, I hope next week's better than that. But to the 10 of you that are with me, I want you to hear something. God wants to do surgery in your life. He wants to expose that thing that you have worked so hard to keep hidden from everyone else. And he wants to kill it. And he wants you to give it up. Stop trying to save your soul so that he can save the fullness of you so that you can lay down your life as a living sacrifice fully and completely so that you can worship him fully and completely. There is something in your soul that you are withholding from God. There is something that, that you, you are not walking in obedience fully to God. You're not laying your, because there's something, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's lying, it's cheating, it's stealing, it's lust, it's, it's porn, it's sex, it's, it's whatever, whatever, it's, it's whatever it may be. There's something within that that you are not giving to God. And God needs to come in and needs to renew your mind. And here's the thing, I want to, so now that we understand that, that whole concept, can, are we, do you think we're good enough to kind of go on to the next thing? Okay, getting back to the transformation from the renewing of your mind. Mind to soul, there's parts of your soul that, that are, are sinful, that are evil, and it has to be killed, has to be renewed. Right? Renewed is not taking something old and cleaning it up and putting a new shirt on it and having like a, a, a pretty woman thing going on. It's, a brand, it's, a, it's, it's not dressing, it's, it's making it brand new. It's taking it back to the way it was before it was, the word is almost like molested. It's, it's taking it back before it was used. Does that make sense? 
It's taking your soul back before sin, sin entered into it. It's taking, it's taking your mind, it's taking your soul, it's taking your emotions, it's taking you back before the world, the culture, the enemy, sin, evil had its way with your soul so that your spirit, your soul, and your body is blameless like we said in Thessalonians when Jesus comes. Does that make sense? And so when he renews your mind and it's, complete, it's made completely new, it's completely new. It's not, it's not some old stuff and some new stuff. It's completely new. The inside of you, like in your mind, then the, the transformation, because that word transformation, it literally means it will transform you. It means it, the outside will keep up with your inner reality. So God, when he changes, renews your mind, changes your inner reality, everything else will catch up. Now, being fully renewed and transformed, now you can truly live your life down as a living sacrifice, as your act of worship. And walk in and live in the presence and the power of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's, here's what I'm saying. And this is the real point why I'm getting to this. Because I have a, a unique desire. I always have about my life and about your life. and about It's one of the things I pray. That every single person in this life, they find the will of God for their life. They find the will of God for your life. You can answer it, it might be God. <laughs> Telling you what the will of God is for your life. If it is, don't tell me, that's scary. All right. So this is what, this is what it, you in your mind, and I just want to get for real, you in your mind, Many people, the reason why you don't lay down your life as a living sacrifice, why you withhold that thing in your heart and your soul, why you won't give it up, why you won't fight it, why you won't confess it, why you won't make it known, why you won't lay it down before God's altar, why you just kind of keep it and try to keep it hidden from everybody else. Well, the reason why you do that is because you believe the oldest lie of the enemy. What was the oldest lie of the enemy that he told Adam and Eve? What was his point of saying? That God's withholding something good from you. That was a lie. He said, Eve, Adam, let me tell you something. God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll experience something that he's not, he doesn't want to give you. If you get, you'll have knowledge, you'll be like God. And what Eve believed, she believed, she believed that there was something good that God was withholding from her. That was why she ate the apple, right? And see, there is a piece of you, and I want you to hear me. The, the reason, I'm telling you, remember what I said, the only thing I want to do today, why is it so hard to worship? Because there's something in our soul that we are not giving to God. Why are we withholding that and not giving it to God? Because we believe the oldest lie of the book. We believe the oldest lie of the enemy, that God is withholding something good from our life. Why won't you, why won't you quit? Why won't, because it's pleasurable, it's good, it feels good. God, there's something, there's something about it. I want it, that, God, God, that God's withholding something. If I do this, then I'm going to miss out on goodness. I'm going to miss out on perfection. I'm going to miss out on pleasure. I'm going to miss out on something. It's the oldest line in the book. It's hard to lay down your life as a living sacrifice because you're withholding something within your soul that needs to be turned over and you're withholding that thing within your soul, that pride, that arrogance, that lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it may be. You're withholding that thing because there's some part of you that believes that you need it or you want it or it brings goodness into your life so you're not willing to lay it down. You're not willing to leave the job that God wants you to leave because you think that there's something good. You're not willing to sell everything and, and go be a mission. You're not, there's stuff that you're not willing to do for God because you believe in your heart and you believe in your mind that there's something that, 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 that it's going to bring you goodness more than what God has for you, right? 
Because if you really believed in your heart and your mind that the greatest and the goodness and the perfection of God's will is truly that, then you would lay it down in a heartbeat. I think if you had an inclination, even the smallest part of your imagination that could imagine what God truly has planned for you, you would lay everything down right now to experience it. But it's because you are being trapped by the lie of the devil himself that God does not have the best plan for your life. So you withhold a little bit of it. You're like, here, take a little bit, but I'm going to keep this for myself because I think this is actually going to bring me better goodness than what God's going to bring me right? So this is what it's actually happening. Because you believe that lie, it's costing you the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Because you're not laying it down before him. What does that scripture say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The reason why you don't have clarity about your purpose in this life, the reason why you don't know the will of God, and here's the thing, there's so many people that don't know the will of God, I've heard of messages talking about why God's will doesn't even matter. Like we shouldn't even, we should just do this and we should just, God's going to have his way, so let's just let God have his way and let, let's not be hungry for God's will, let's not be hungry for the purpose, let's not be hungry for the purpose, let's not, God, when God wants to give it to us, he'll give it to us. Not biblical. Not biblical. Sounds good, makes some good preaching, not in the Bible. He said, you want to know my good, perfect, pleasing will? Lay your lives down as living sacrifice. Don't conform to the age. Let me renew your mind. Give me every ounce of your soul, and I will transform you from the inside out, and then you will know my good, my pleasing, my perfect will. You have clarity about who you are, clarity about who I've created you to be, clarity about the gifts and the talents and the ability, clarity about your purpose. Then I will move into your life, make it all clear, and empower you to do the thing that I've called you to do. The will of God is absolutely 100% not whatever. It's the thing what we live for, right? That's what we live for. Many of you, you will go through the course of this life missing out on the clarity of who you are because you're withholding goodness, something from God because you believe that he's withholding goodness from you. And it's the greatest lie of the enemy and it's leading you to sin in the greatest way and it's costing you greatness in God because you will not lay that thing down at the altar and let him consume it with the power of his spirit and burn it up in you and crucify it and kill it. You won't be vulnerable with God so that he can lift your neck and kill that soul, that sinful part of you that you're withholding from him. Taylor, you can come up here. And it's costing you. It's costing you. It's costing you clarity. It's costing you ultimately, ultimately, that's why, listen, I'm not, this isn't coming from me. I didn't make this up. Listen to the words of Jesus. The more you try to save your soul, the more you will lose it. But as soon as you come to terms with who you are and who I am and you stop trying to save it and you give it up and you lose it in that moment, you will actually save it. I want to show you what sin does to your life. I want to show you what sin does to your life. Do you remember the temptations of Jesus Christ? The, 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 the ones when, when the enemy, when Jesus was out in the desert in his 40-day fast and the enemy met him out there and he tempted him with three massive temptations. Do you remember, do you remember what they were? I want to show you this. I want to show you how similar, how when, when disobedience and, and what you think it is and, 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 and what, just this. The enemy came to Jesus and he said, the first one, the first one was this, he came to Jesus. 
He said, Jesus, I know you've been out here. You're hungry. You've been fasting. You haven't eaten in days. And Jesus, I know you have the power to do this. I know you have the power to do this. Just see these stones. Take these stones. Turn them into bread and eat it so you'll be filled. Do you remember that temptation? Here's the thing I want you to understand about that. Jesus had the power to do it. The enemy didn't give him the power to turn stones into bread. Jesus already had that power within himself because that was connected to his purpose. But had he done that, stones into bread, it would have been a sin. Why? Because it was outside the will of God. There's nothing wrong with Jesus turning something into something else because you know what his first miracle was? Water into wine. You hearing me? The enemy knew he had the power. The enemy knew he had the ability. The enemy knew, and he knew what it was. So he put this before him. It would have been a sin because it was outside the will of God. What God had planned for Jesus was far greater than what, the, than, than what that, that soul part. If, he, if, if Jesus would have given in to that soul part, then it's saying, I am hungry, and I have the power to do this, and I have the ability to do this, so I'm just going to turn stones into bread and provide for myself. I will take this, and I will eat this, and I will be good. There's nothing in the law that says that was sinful except for the fact that it was outside the will of God. But Jesus who said, I don't do anything within myself. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I see the Father say, was totally submission to God, totally in submission to God's will. He had clarity about it. So he knew in that moment, bread and the rocks and the bread, that's not it. It's, it's, the, it's, wine, it's water and the wine. The second thing, Jesus. Jesus, your power, let's go up on this temple. Let's stand on the tip of the temple. Jesus, if you just throw yourself off, the angels will come down as an army and they'll save you and they'll pick you up and all the people will see you be saved and all the people will know that you're divine and all the people that will know you're from God, they'll see you be lifted high and they will know that you are who you say you are. Nothing sinful about that. About Jesus standing on the temple and jumping off and angels coming to save him. Right? Nothing sinful about that. But it was outside of God's will because Jesus knew a thing about his life. Jesus knew that one day I will be brought low. One day I will fall even to death. But the power of God will raise me up and resurrect me. See, the devil was tempting him with fall off the temple so the people will see you be saved. But God's will was die in the grave and let the world wonder at my greatness when I raise you from the dead. You see that? See that similarity? And then the last one, the enemy comes and says, Jesus, I'll give you the whole world, all the nations of the world, all the kingdoms of the earth. If you'll just bow your knee to me, I'll give everything to you right now. Bow your knee to me once, and I'll give you everything in the world right now. But Jesus had clarity about the will of God, and he knew the whole world will bow its knee to me. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. And I'm never going to worship you but the world will one day worship me. Do you see how similar that is? Here is my greatest concern for your life. That your life, because you never fully laid down your life to Jesus, 
because you never fully lay down your life, because you never take that thing and crucify it, because you withhold that thing from God. You never lay it down as a living sacrifice. You never allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind through his word so that you'll be transformed and you stay conformed to the world because you'll never lay it down. You will never gain clarity about your purpose. You will never gain clarity about the will of God and that you will have a whole bunch of stones and bread and a whole bunch of falling off temple moments and a whole bunch of bowing down to Satan and living the lives that he has planned for you rather than willing to perfect, pleasing the perfect will of God. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. Worship is only difficult when you don't recognize the greatness and the glory of God. When you recognize the greatness and the glory of God, it will be easy to lay down your life as a living sacrifice, to give him every single ounce of who you are and worship him with entirety. And his presence will flood your life. Your mind will be renewed and you will know the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. So here's a question this morning. I'm going to ask you just one, one question. What is that thing or things inside your soul that is preventing you from laying down your life as a living sacrifice to God? What's the thing in your life that you won't give over to God? What's the thing that you are not honoring God with every day? What's the thing that you are not giving God glory with? What's the thing that you're keeping for yourself? What talent, what ability, what sin, what thought, what are you keeping with yourself that you are not giving to God? What is preventing you from laying your life down as a living sacrifice? What is it? What is it? Think about it. it it's there. If you're not laying your life down as a living sacrifice, there's a reason why. I want you to come to terms with that this morning. I told you, 95% of us won't be with me at the end. I've come to full peace about that on Thursday. But for those of you that are with me and that you're listening, what is that thing that you're trying to save that's actually killing you and costing you greatness in God's will? What is it? Don't let it be something as stupid and wasteful as money, please. Let it be deeper. Let it be darker. Let it be even more evil than that. Don't waste your life over the dollar bill. Please don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. What is it? What is it that that you keep hidden from everybody else? I'm going to share mine with you. For years. For years. There's something I could not get over. Something that I could not lay down. Something that I... I just could not, and it dominated me. It dominated almost everything that I was and everything that I did. For me, at a very, very young age, I started to experience and experiment with sexuality outside of God's marriage. Sex became the dominant idol of my heart more than anything else. Everything I did in this life, I, all I wanted, I wanted to be good at sports so that I could get girls. I wanted to have money so that I could get girls. I wanted to do this. Pornography was a massive and dominant part of my life from the age of nine years old. Dominated every ounce of who I was. Dominated the way that I thought. Dominated the way that I viewed women. Dominated what I thought life was about. Absolutely captured me. And when I got saved, This thing continued to dominate me. 
continue to wash over my lust was this massive thing to me the desire for women was this massive thing to me this addiction to pornography that was this massive massive thing to me and it just overwhelmed my soul and there was so many years not days not weeks but years I walked with this tension between my sexuality and the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. It was so dominant in my life, there were several moments where I thought, I'm not even going to be a preacher. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not ever going to be able to quit. I'm not ever going to be able to do this thing. It was so heavy, and it was so strong, and it was so domineering in my life. Until one day, I genuinely had this, this, this moment with God where I came and I confessed it. I confessed every ounce of it. I didn't withhold one thing from God. And then I confessed it to the people who were closest to me. And I recognized if I did not wage a war on this thing in my life, it was going to take everything from me. Let me tell you what this would have taken from me. It would have taken my calling. It would have taken my purpose. It would have taken my marriage. It would have taken my relationship with my daughter. It would have taken everything. I'm not sharing this with you. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to see how practically, if you try to save a piece of your soul, how it will cost you everything. I don't want you to sit here in some hyper-spiritual theological state of humanism thinking about lunch. I want you to understand the depth of the darkness of your heart. I want you to understand that thing that you're keeping with. You're religious. And you're keeping that thing. And you're withholding it from God. And it's costing you everything. And you're foolish in your mind. You're darkened in your mind. That's what the Bible says. And you can't even understand. And until you lay that before God, it will cost you every single thing. No doubt in my mind, listen to me, no doubt in my mind if I did not crucify that part of my life and bring it to before God and confess it and wage a war on it and fight it, no doubt in my mind you would not be looking at a preacher. You'd be looking at an adulterer. You'd be looking at an addict. You'd be looking at a, a whore. Truthfully. You'd be looking at somebody who lived from one second to the next. You would be looking at the prodigal son. I'm telling you right now, sin is no joke. You withhold that from God. Jesus warned you as clear as could day. If you withhold that from me, if you try to save that, it's going to cost you. It's going to kill you. It's going to cost you your life. But if you will lose it, confess it. Don't be afraid of it. Who cares what people think? Who cares? Don't try to hide it from your family. Don't try to hide it from your wife. Don't try to hide it. Whatever your thing is, confess it to God and wage a war on it. Don't ponder it for a few weeks. Don't think about it for a couple months and let it continue to dominate you. You have got to come to terms with what lies you are believing, what you are withholding from God and crucify it or it's going to cost you everything. Did I get down to my 10 yet? Is there still 10 people listening? Is there still 10 people who say, 
I'm going to go. I'm going to wage a war against it. I'm going to lay it down before God. I'm going to give everything over to the glory of God. There's nothing worth withholding it. I want the will of God. I want clarity on purpose. I want to live out God. I want it for God's glory. I want to do it. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want it. I'm willing. I'm ready to lay it all down. I want to do that. Is there just 10 people in the house this morning that will forget humanism and will forget the earth and forget the age and will lay down every ounce of who they are? Is there just 10 people this morning that are willing to take up their cross every single day and follow after God. Do you know the worst thing about that scripture is it said pick up your cross every day. If he just said pick it up once, I'm good with that. But he said pick it up every day and crucify yourself. Pick it up every day and humble yourself. Pick it up every day, every day and crucify that flesh and don't live every day. Don't let it be hidden. If you have something in your theology that says that you can follow after God and still have sin dominate your life, you are believing a lie from the enemy. Let me tell you what God's not going to do. He's not going to give you clarity about your future and he's not going to move in your life and provide you with what you need and empower you to do those things. He's not. He's going to spend your whole life humbling you down before him until you give this thing to him. Here's the reason why. He already died for it. He already died for it. He already did the work. You just got to lay it down. Here's the thing. Yeah, you probably need to confess that thing to a lot more people than just God. But if you don't ever truly bring it before God, you're definitely not going to expose it to anybody else. What does the Word of God say? My Word is living and active. It's a double-edged sword. Penetrates, divides, soul, spirit, and marrow. I'm looking at the intentions of the heart, and I want to expose it, lay it bare, and kill it. I want you to know the will of God in your life. I want you to have purpose. I want you to have the presence of God every day in your life. I want you to walk in obedience of the Lord. I want you to experience the greatness of God in your life. So what's the one thing or the few things that is costing you all of that in your life that you aren't willing to lay down before? So this morning, we're going to worship. And during worship, I want you to come to terms with that with God. What's preventing you from laying your life down as a living sacrifice? What's may maybe you're angry with God. Maybe something has happened in your life and you are just angry. And you haven't, you haven't in your mind, forgiven God. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an idol of the heart. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's pride. Whatever it is, you come to terms with that thing and then lay it before God. And if you don't know and you don't have any clarity about that, then come before God and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I don't want to just be a church goer. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live for you every day. And God, I'm asking you through the power of your word and through the spirit to reveal to me the things that I'm withholding from you so that I can lay them down before you. Can we do that this morning? If you guys will stand. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. Your spirit will bring conviction in this house this morning. That your spirit will bring conviction in the hearts and the minds of the people, God. That you will do the only thing that you can do, God. Let your word this morning, let your powerful word this morning divide soul and spirit. 
I pray, Lord, that it will search through the intentions of the heart, Father, that you will expose it in our heart and our mind. It will be laid bare before you to be crucified for your glory, God. I pray, Lord, let this be a house filled with worshipers. Let this be a house filled with people, God, who follow you, who live every day for your honor and for your glory. Move in us today, 